Some years ago, I, uh, I shared with you the story of a very unusual robbery that took place back in August of 2003 at the Church of the Holy Cross in uh, downtown Manhattan in, in New York City, uh, right on 42nd Street. And what made this, um, this theft so unusual was what they took. Uh, actually, it was the second of two thefts that had happened that particular month. The first time, they stole a money box and they took it away. But the second time, the thieves broke in and they went into one of the meditation areas there. And in that meditation area, there was this really large cross with a 200-pound plaster cast figure of Jesus hanging on the cross. Look up there behind us here, and you'll see the cross hanging up uh, on the wall there. Uh, it was a big cross like that, and there was a large figure of Jesus. And the thieves unbolted the figure of Jesus from the cross, and they left, taking just the plaster Jesus. Now, the night watchman or the custodian in the church uh, was interviewed by the, uh, by the news media shortly after that, and, and this is what he said. They decided to leave the cross and take Jesus. And he said it with real puzzlement. They decided to leave the cross and take Jesus. Uh, we don't know why they took just him. Why did they take just him? We figure if you want the crucifix, there it is again, if you want the crucifix, take the whole crucifix. Don't just take Jesus and leave his cross behind. Now, as I shared some years back, there's something in me, at least, that kind of understands what the thieves did. Because there is something in me, maybe in others listening tonight as well, that really particularly loved the figure of Jesus. Right? I mean, think of all the things we love about Jesus. We admire the clever way that he handled uh, challenges the compassionate way that he treated people. Uh, we are drawn to the, uh, the brilliance and the beauty and the balance of his whole ethical system uh, of life. Uh, we're, we're attracted to the clarity of his thinking about things. We all love the stories of Jesus. To a whole lot of us, the character of Jesus, just his way of moving through life and with people is something that we aspire to as our highest standard. In fact, uh, raise your hand, parents, if you think to yourself, I'd love my kids to have the character of Jesus. I'd love to have my best friends have the character of Jesus. I'd like to have my, my spouse have the character of Jesus. I'd like to have the character of Jesus. Raise your hand if you would like to be more like Jesus. All of us love the figure of Jesus. Even people that are not particularly religious are attracted to Jesus. But his cross, that gets more complicated. Right? That isn't quite as attractive. For some of us, it's the whole blood thing. It's this whole violence and death thing uh, about the cross. And we know there's plenty of violence and death. Our community was touched profoundly and tragically and awfully in, in the murder of that uh, wonderful young O'Laughlin girl um, recently. We're praying for that family. We we, our heart breaks with them at the loss that they've suffered. Um, and we don't, some of us just, we don't want to get too close to, 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 the, to the blood that Jesus had to shed uh, on his cross. Uh, we don't want our religion to be about that. And so some of us just want to leave the cross up on the wall for that reason, perhaps. Uh, 
For me, the motivation to leave the cross up there is a little bit different. Uh, For me, I like to look at the cross because I want to be reminded of what Jesus did there, of the sacrifice that Jesus made uh, on Calvary uh, on my behalf. As the Apostle Paul uh, said, I want to remind you of the good news that I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. By this gospel, meaning by this good news, you are saved, writes Paul, that Christ died for our sins. He paid for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now, what the Apostle Paul is saying in those particular words is what uh, theologians call the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement. You want to know that word of substitutionary because someday it might be on the SAT. You want to remember that one. What substitutionary atonement means is this. It means that Jesus voluntarily substituted himself in the place of punishment that should have been mine and maybe should have been yours too uh, at the cross. He took our place. Jesus, in other words, threw himself in front of evil's bullet so that human beings wouldn't be destroyed by it. Substitutionary atonement means that he pushed us out of the path of the freight train of judgment that was thundering down upon humanity because of all of the the sin in our hearts. And Jesus took the full blow of the train himself uh, so that that we would not have to take um, that blow. Uh, The one truly innocent being in the entirety of the universe uh, said to the divine court, Your Honor, let me receive the death sentence in their place. Put me to death in their place and let them go free. This is the awesome mystery around which the followers of Jesus keep gathering. Uh, this is the, uh, the central wonder that the reformers way back in the, in the, uh, the 15th and 16th centuries um, sought to bring back into the life of this church. The sense that, that we can't earn the grace of God, but that Jesus has earned that grace by his righteousness uh, instead. In fact, Martin Luther put it beautifully uh, in his uh, famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? In other words, if we just trusted in our good works to get us to heaven, our striving would be uh, losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. I hope you've taken that in. I I hope you have taken in the wonder of what Jesus was willing to do for the forgiveness of your sin, for the purchase of your life, um, for the triumph of God's good in you. Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice that was worthy and weighty enough to pay for my sin and yours. He made it possible for any one of us who put our faith in him to be at one with God, sin no longer blocking the relationship. And that word at one is the word underlying atonement. It's an at-one-ment, atonement, that Jesus makes possible uh, through his uh, blood shed on the cross. Jesus 
died on the cross so that you and I would not have to. So, there are some very good reasons why someone might choose to leave the cross on the wall and just take Jesus with them, right? For some people, you might do it because you don't want to get too near his blood. Ooh, we don't like all that blood stuff. For other people, you do it because you so honor his blood. You're so thankful for the the splendor and the wonder of what he's done that uh, you just want to meditate uh, upon that. But there's another reason why a lot of us might want to leave the cross right where it stands, and, and this is the reason. It's because we don't want to shed any of our own blood. We don't want to pay too heavy a price for following him. We like the figure of Jesus. We like being forgiven people, but we're not sure we want to follow this Jesus or be formed by this Jesus if this means taking up our cross ourselves. And you know what? It does mean that. It really does mean that. To follow Jesus means to take the cross to your heart and on your shoulders in a very important way. Um, listen very carefully to what I'm about to say. And if you've got a neighbor who's sort of, because it's dark, have, nudged, have fallen off asleep, just give him a little poke right now, a little nudge, just to wake him up because this is crucial. Forgiveness of sin and eternal life comes through accepting what Jesus did on his cross. You don't have to earn it. It's not because you're, you're, you're so good that you get this forgiveness. It's because he voluntarily gave himself in love for us on the cross. Forgiveness and eternal life comes through accepting what Jesus did on his cross. But truly following Jesus, truly being formed into the image of Jesus, truly gaining the abundant life that he uh, wants us to have in this life, that comes through accepting what we must do with our cross. Okay? This is how Jesus himself puts it. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. He must deny himself. And take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life, whoever is just focused on keeping just the way it is for me, just the way I've got it now, whoever wants to save that life is going to lose it. Is going to lose it. But whoever loses his life for me, and for the gospel, we'll save it. We'll get a larger life. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul, asked Jesus. If anyone is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. In connection with those words, I, I think back to a story I, I may have shared with some of you about a, a message I heard from a pastor in Colorado named Peter Hyatt some years ago, and it's always stuck in my mind. Uh, I'm not sure you always remember everything I say up here, but maybe you'll remember this part, because it was written by a wonderful preacher. And the, the name of the sermon was this, Marriage, a Sneaky Way to Get Someone Crucified. Marriage, a sneaky way to get someone crucified. And in this particular message, 
um, some really interesting thoughts were shared. The title kind of seemed crazy to me at the start. What in the world does marriage have to do with crucifixion? And then I thought about it, and I realized a lot. A lot. Wow. Nobody signs up for marriage thinking it's going to be pain and challenge and struggle, right? Nobody signs up for that. I mean, maybe they think it might have some hurdles and some difficulties, but you don't sign up because you're thrilled about the prospect of learning to deny yourself or to lose your old way of life. Oh, I think I'll go into this marriage so I can get rid of all that stuff I used to have. You know, I discovered that. All that stuff, I sudden, over the period of time, it, it went to the garage and then to the attic and then it went to a garage sale. All my stuff was gone as the marriage went on. Um, nobody goes in thinking that it's going to be like that. You never think, yourself, oh, good, this is going to be really hard and really painful. Uh, this, I can't wait to be married because I'm going to get to make some really demanding sacrifices. Thank goodness I'm going to finally get to a place where somebody knows my character defects enough to point them out and not let me escape with them. Wow, I've been looking forward to this all my life. Praise the Lord, I'm going to be forced to a place of such extremity that I'll only have my Heavenly Father to lean on, and I'm sometimes going to wonder why He is, why He's forsaking me. Nobody goes into marriage thinking it's going to get them crucified. Nobody goes into parenting or into unemployment or into serious illness or into the senior adult years of life or into a whole lot of the other big, big experiences of life because they are eager to take up a cross. And I doubt many of you would join a church whose marketing slogan was, come to Christ church, we'll help you kill yourself into new life. <laughs> right? You probably wouldn't go to that, to that church. When I really examine the way of Jesus, however, it seems just that crazy at times. I mean, when you really look at it, what Jesus is asking, it's pretty radical. Turn the other cheek when people abuse you? Pray for people who persecute you? Forbid yourself not just to touch lustfully, but to even look lustfully? To visit the criminal in prison? To give my hard-earned money to the beggar? To sleep out in the cold and raise money and awareness for homeless people I don't even personally know? No way. That's too hard. That's like going to require denying my comforts and my pleasures and, and my life as it is. Jesus implied in his teaching in Mark chapter 8, those words I read to you a moment ago, that when we perceive how hard his way is, how countercultural his way is, we might actually become ashamed of his words. We might come to dilute them or to diminish them or to domesticate his teaching, to try and avoid how radical they are. A.W. Tozer, who's a great 
theologian of this last century, uh, become, became really concerned about the church in his era way back in the 1930s and 40s. He thought this is what had happened. They diluted, domesticated the hardness, challenge of the gospel. We live in a spiritually troubled time in history, wrote Tozer. Christianity has gone over to the jingle bell crowd, he said. By that he meant that Christianity had become mainly sort of a holiday thing. It had become a way of, of, of cordiality and a little bit of charity and a sort of self-indulgent Christmas cheer. And Tozer goes on and says, everyone is just delighted that Jesus has gone and done all of the sorrowing and all of the suffering and all of the dying. They leave the cross to him. This is not a new syndrome, right? This has been going on for as long as there's been people. And the church, in fact, way back in the 5th century A.D., a uh, wonderful theologian and pastor by the name of St. Uh, Augustine of Hippo, uh, he was one of the greatest minds, by the way, in the world of his time. He writes these words, It is necessary to die, but nobody, nobody wants to. We want to reach the kingdom of God, but we don't want to travel by way of death. And yet there stands necessity. There stands Jesus pointing to the cross, saying, this way, this way, please. Come and deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. I think that's why I love the TV show, The Biggest Loser. You ever see that show? We love that show. We watched it religiously in our house. Isn't that right, Reed? We thought that was so cool. Um, I love that TV program because at, at first glance, it seems to be this mere contest between these dangerously overweight people who just want to shed some pounds so they can look better because everybody in our world is all about looking better. But as you watch the program, you realize it's actually the story of people who want to be better. They want to be better from the inside out. And most of the contestants know that the self they have isn't working for them, right? And not on the outside and, and, and even more so not on uh, the inside. They want a whole new quality of life, even if it kills them to get it, right? And so they submit themselves to this incredibly challenging uh, pathway. They give themselves over to the guidance of these really, this really tough coach and the support of a whole community of other people around them. And they go on this many-month journey in which they deny themselves formerly accepted pleasures, things that they just always were grabbing after. They turn away from those things. They take on these whole new disciplines, and, and they die to the fears and the weaknesses and the old appetites and the perceived limits that used to bind them and make them just what they were. And by the end of the journey, the winners, the winners are almost all unrecognizable. Not just because of the weight that's gone. And, I mean, people lose phenomenal amounts of weight on this show. But, but because of the life that's come inside of them through this process of dying to self. And it is like this to some extent with Jesus and with those who follow after him. Uh, it's like this. Jesus knows that all of us are always under pressure. 
to, to settle into this more-for-me mentality that is the human rage in every single century. I want people to do things for me. I want things done my way. It's me, myself, and I. It's, it's always been like this. But Jesus knows that it is not, in fact, the one who dies with the most toys that wins. It's the biggest loser who gains the victory. It's the person who has learned to deny and to die to every self that we're being told to coddle and preserve and expand. It's that person who gives themselves over to the power of love that gains the most, that really gains the most. Because it is only when there is a big hole where our old appetites and our, our old attitudes and our old abilities once were, it's only when the hole has been created there that God can come in and fill us up with his power and himself, in his heart, his soul, his mind, and strength. Um, this is what the way of Jesus involves, okay? Um, it is about a way of continual cross-bearing. And you've got to decide for yourself if you're really up for the journey, okay? Jesus, in fact, every time the crowd got too large, he would usually sharpen the point of his teaching, and he would, in effect, say, you must, there are too many of you. You must not have understood what I said. I'm calling you to die to yourself. And he'd sharpen the teaching, and not so many people would show up next week. But the ones who came, came with a passion to develop the life of Jesus uh, in themselves. So decide for yourself, do I really want to follow Jesus? I mean, there are lots of other coaches and plenty of other games out there that you could be into instead. How much do you really want to be like him? And if you decide that you do want to, pers to pursue the way of Jesus for yourself, then accept right here and right now that progressive death is what is required. Um, the cross needs to come off the wall, and it needs to go with you and with me. Uh, it, every selfish impulse and every act and every racket that you've got going to kind of coddle and protect and expand yourself that you have right now, that needs to be that needs to be nailed. It needs to be dealt with over time um, so that Christ can fill you with himself, his new life. And as you start down that road, as you go down that pathway resolve, you're not going to turn back even when it gets very hard. And it's going to get hard at times. That's why we need each other uh, because it does get hard. Crucifixion isn't painless. It is not quick. And that is why the biggest losers travel with partners, right? with companions that can support them when the, the going gets rough. Let me just say that I have been a follower of Jesus for 34 years now. I was just a little bit older than you, you all were when I became a follower of Jesus. I have um, I've been a marriage partner for 22 years, uh, almost. I've been a parent for 19 years. I've been a pastor here for 15 years. And all of these various commitments have been killing me. <laughs> and therein lies my hope. Therein lies my hope. That the old Dan keeps dying and the new life in Jesus can be born in me. And I am praying for the day when I can say with the Apostle Paul, it is no longer I who live 
but Christ who lives in me. I have been crucified with Christ so that it is no longer I who live, but Jesus who lives in me. How about you? Are you ready? Are you ready to go on this journey together? Are you, are you as we said at the beginning, are you willing to be born again, to truly repent, to come to him, to listen to him, to remain in him, to take up your cross? Are you ready to go the way of Jesus? Then hear what the Lord says through the prophet Jeremiah. Stand at the crossroads, look for the ancient paths, ask where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest, new life for your soul. What an adventure we've got in front of us. Come on back next week as we begin to talk about the way of faith on the way of Jesus. Amen.